Dearest Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for your blessing on this time that we're in your word. I just um, pray, Lord, that you will make up for all the inadequacies I have as the teacher and a person and override those to be that perfect blessing, that perfect truth to those who love you and who are listening to your word. I ask this in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. You know, um, Joe asked me a few weeks ago to do this uh, piece here, and this is what it is. Um, so I named it. I, I kind of took it from a Jeopardy joke uh, because um, the piece that, that Jesus says here, he says, wars and rumors of wars. And so what I said is I said, the answer is, like Jeopardy, kind of joke, um, wars and answers uh, and, and rumors of wars. And so the, the real thing comes to what's the question? If that's the answer, what's the question? Um, and it comes from the Olivet Discourse. Uh, and um, th there's nothing exciting about that. Um, it really covers chapters 24 and chapters 25 of Matthew. And it's all prophecy. Um, the, the Olivet Discourse, the name comes from that he's on the Mount of Olives when, he gives the, when he's telling his disciples this. So they call it the Olivet Discourse. Um, so the, in, in order to kind of figure out where we're at, um, and I want to kind of just state this piece here, is a lot of people don't like prophecy. It sounds complicated, okay? But let me tell you what the statistics are. The statistics are that the Bible has 25% of the entire Bible is nothing but prophecy. So if you don't like prophecy, I have a suggestion for you. I, I even have come up with a list. Um, you can rip out the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and 1 and 2 Timothy. Now, you won't get rid of the prophecy, but you get rid of the same amount of uh, principles in it. So if you can think that we can throw away the entire church prophecy and all of its structure and all of its principles for us, then that's what you do when you reject prophecy. Prophecy has a very interesting purpose. It's not like you think. Uh, and um, so if, if, you, if you bear with me this hour and you think it's really tough, there's people in my class who have been doing it for three years, okay? They, uh, they, that's that perseverance you keep hearing about in the Bible, okay? So, but prophecy, what's interesting about prophecy is that it has all these principles embedded in it. All these great principles that are very clear in prophecy. And even though prophecy uh, doesn't have anything to do with us, okay, I, and I say that not tongue-in-cheek, in reality, we as a church have zero prophecy. None. There's no prophecy during the church time. Zero. Not a single one. Um, the prophecy is before and after us. And I hope I'll show you that, but that's one of the principles that is important. So you, you would think that, why should I know prophecy? But most prophecy, like the book of Revelation, which has has huge amount of prophecy and huge amount of angels, is written not to the people in the prophecy, not to the people in the tribulation, not to the people in the, It's written to the church, to us. And the reason it's written to us is because we are the very family of God. Jesus Christ is our brother. And that makes us royalty with respect to God. Because Jesus Christ is royalty, we are royalty. That's called the doctrine of inheritance. Okay, So he shares that with us. We have that position. We have the right to know those truths. And that's why God gives them to us. It's like, if you remember that part where, where Jesus says, he says, you are not like my servants, even though you are. You are like my friends. So I tell you all these truths. 
And that's why we have prophecy. God lets us in on the story. He lets us in on that truth. Okay? Now, in order to orient ourselves, and this is just the, the piece here, in order to orient ourselves in Scripture period, but certainly in this piece right here, we have to ask ourselves some questions. We have to ask who, what, why, where, and when. If you don't ask those things, you don't know where you're at. And frequently when people uh, read Scripture, they don't bother to look at what's called the context. Okay? And my, my joke about context is, context is like if I said, hey, Charles and Nancy, why don't you guys come over for dinner tomorrow night? Okay? And they say, sure. Okay? But tomorrow night, everybody shows up. Everybody. All of a sudden, my wife said, what are all those cars and those people? There's like 150 people coming to dinner. What did you do up there? I don't think they heard the context. That makes sense? So that's what context is. Context is that important. Now, we observe context in every part of our lives. But when it comes to the word of God, we stop observing context. We apply things that have nothing to do with us to us. And we... And we be careful, huh? Um, and we apply things that have to do with us to others. Context means that you know who's speaking. You know who they're speaking to. You know where you're at. You, you've, you plot yourself in there. So let me tell you about the all of this discourse. I'll tell you. Who is speaking in these 13 verses we're going to look at? Jesus is speaking. Who is Jesus speaking to in the Olivet Discourse, in the book of Matthew? He's speaking to Jews. He's not speaking to you. He's not speaking to Christians. You know why I know that? It's because on the last verse of the book of Matthew, Christianity has not come about. Okay, It's still about 30 days after the last page. That's true for the book of Luke. It's true for the book of Mark. Zero Christianity in it. Zero. So why do people take the book of Matthew and start applying it to themselves? They're ignorant and they violate context. Okay, That's what that is. It's important to know who this is applying to. Now, does that mean you can't pull principles out of it? Absolutely not. We do all the time. Nice thing about God, he's the, he's the same person yesterday, today, and forever. His principles line up. Guess what? Murdering today was bad, uh, tomorrow's bad, and yesterday was bad. Okay? There's no, there's, no, there's no special stuff here. Now, the second piece here, and we're going to ask her the what part. So the what part is what is the purpose of these instructions? Why was this written? Okay? And the what for that is that it is, the, the what for him is there's instructions. You know, this verse is written on a Monday. It's written in AD 30, and it's written in April. That's pretty specific, huh? Okay? Now, how do I know that? Okay? Virtually every scholar agrees that Jesus died on the cross in, um, in 30 AD. From the time that he speaks these words that we're going to read tonight, three days later, some would say four and five, I would doubt that, but they, Jesus would be on the cross and dead. He's giving them instructions to help them understand what's coming. They have to know it. It's critical. Okay? 
So that's why he's doing it. That's his purpose. He's giving these instructions. And the 24 and 25 are those instructions not to us, but to his disciples, so that they know what to teach to the Jews, that they will know how to prepare for that. Okay? The where is the Mount of Olives. We already talked that's right. That's in Jerusalem, right outside the temple. Um, the other part is that we know if you watch, if you flip the pages through Matthew and you end up in 24, you will have flipped past Palm Sunday. And if you keep flipping past, you'll end up with the Olivet Discourse, Monday, Tuesday, and you flip course again. You'll end up with the um, Upper Room Discourse, and you flip it again, you'll end up in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you'll flip it again, and Jesus is on the cross. That's how you know where you're at. So it's important to understand why. Why is he doing this? Who is he doing it to? He's doing it to his, instruct, his, his disciples, which are his leaders. Okay? Because the why is because Jesus will not be there to instruct them. Okay? So there's no church here. Um, there's no Christians in the book of Matthew. And it's not about us. Well, that doesn't mean it's worthless. Okay, prophecy is important. Scripture is important. So let's go on to what Jesus has to say here. Okay, um, and this is the this first piece here. It says uh, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him and called his, to his attention the buildings. Now, what that was is buildings were were the temple, the Jewish temple, and the context of that is that temple was built was rebuilt from the 516 BC, second building of the second church, of the second, of the second temple, by Zerubbabel and, and those guys, you're familiar with that, out of Ezra and Nehemiah and those things. But what had happened with this church is it was, the, the, the building, it was completely beautified. It was absolutely gorgeous. And you'll never guess who did that. Herod the Great, a little cheating pastor over here, always cheating, always reading ahead, they know the answer. Um, so. What's important about that is that this place, and I laugh at this because, you remember the guy who tried to kill Jesus as a baby? Who was that? Herod the Great, okay? He did a lot of great things in reality, especially he, he actually fed the Jews when they were starving more than a few times out of his own money. Um, but he was evil, okay? Evil to the point that God took him out. But that's where they're at. And so they're looking at it, and as, the, as Jesus and the disciple are walking out of the temple, they look around, and the disciples are going, you know, <laughs> like that. They're just, they're just amazing. They're, just, they're telling Jesus, hey, look at, look at this, Lord. Look how beautiful this is, okay? And uh, the Lord says to me, you see in verse 2, he says, um, do you see these things? Talking about the, the, the temple. He says, uh, he asks, he says, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And they have to look at him and say, that's not even possible. If you've seen the temple, even some of the pieces of it, these are, they're huge. They're tons of rocks. There's tons. And they're built all the way up. They're huge. And there's, and there's a wall. And there's a temple. And they're looking at him and thinking that Jesus must be crazy. Okay? But I'll tell you the truth. That happens. Jesus, what he says, will happen 40 years. No, 40, uh, 40 years and four months from the time he says it. It'll happen. There's a man named General Titus, okay, and he is a Roman. He's a Roman general. He is the same one who becomes the emperor. During this time, Vespasian, his father, is emperor. 
And the Jews had the rebellion starting about 66 AD. In 70 AD, it consummates, and this is important. This is important stuff for us to know as Christians. Um, but what happens is that because there is gold in the temple, and I think this is funny, but this is cold. What happens is that when they're trying to assault them, because the, the Jews stayed in there for almost two years, they starved to death. If you've ever read Josephus, and I don't know if you have, it's called Antiquity of the Jews, it tells you how horrible it was. They were cannibals. The people of God, they were cannibals. They ate their children. They stole the food that was people, other people's children. It went on and on and on. It was horrible. It's in, it's in there. Um, same thing happened in 586 BC when, they, when the first time that happened. But what happens here is that the Romans decided they're going to set the temple on fire. Okay, And all this gold that is in the temple melts and goes into the cracks. Okay, A lot of gold. So guess what they do? They take, push the rocks off and they take the gold from the cracks. The only way to get all of the gold is to take all the rocks down. So this, the prophecy ends up being 100% true. Okay? Uh, but when it's spoken, you look at it and say, that, that's crazy. That's not even possible. Yeah, it is historically absolutely true. Okay? We continue. As Jesus is sitting there on the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to him privately. Tell us, they said to Jesus, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age, okay? Now, if you've ever, I always like this part because the, the uh, disciples always come to Jesus when they miss something. They didn't get the point. So this is kind of like, hey, we don't want anybody to know we're this stupid. So Jesus, can you, can you give us a hint? What was, that, what was that sower reaping thing about, you know? So that's what this is. But notice what's interesting about this, and this is the questions I was talking to you about. If you look at it, there are three questions being asked here by them. The first one, it's right there. Tell us what happened. Tell us when this will happen. Okay, that's the very first thing about the temple, about the things. That's what they're asking. They're asking about when will all these, when will they all be down? Tell when's that going to happen? And the answer is Luke 21. I'm not going to read any of these, but I want you to know where they're at. Luke 21, 20 through 24 is the story of General Titus doing that. It's a, it's a prediction written by Luke before it ever happened. He wrote it down. He wrote it down here in Mark and in Luke so that we can verify it with Roman history. We know it's absolutely true. Okay? The second question that they asked Jesus is, what will be the sign of your coming? It's a great question. So the first thing says they know that he's leaving okay, because they asked the question. But do they ever face the question? No, they don't. Remember every time he says, uh, uh, Jesus, remember when he says to uh, Peter, he says, they'll come and they're going to kill me and I'm going to die. I'm going to go three days and I'm going to rise. And he does that. And what does Peter say? No, no, Lord. Nah, I'll die first. That's what he says, right? Cuts the guy's ear off and, uh, and all that stuff. Um, and then Jesus tells him, says, who, who are you thinking like? Are you thinking like God? Or are you thinking like man? And that's a true, okay? So they're asking, what will be the signs? And the answer to those questions, what will be the signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ, is right there in Matthew 24, 27 through 51. Hope that someday we get to play with that, okay? We'll see. If I, if I do a good job here, I get to come back right here. Who can tell? 
Um, anyway, and the third one is, the third question is, what will be the sign of the end of the age? And that's the part that we're in. These are signposts. These are Jesus telling us thousands of years, because he, this was over 2,000 years ago. Well, almost 2,000, a little more than 2,000, a little less than 3,000. So he's telling us exactly what they will look like. He's giving them the sign. Okay, We can tell what the signs are because we read the book. But they're not for us. They're for them. Okay. And the, the piece here says the end of the age. Uh, the question you should jump out at you, and usually don't because we kind of skim over it, so, is what's the end of the age mean? What age? End of Christianity? No, it can't be Christianity. We're not in the context. It can't be us. Who's in the context? The Jews. The context is the end of the age of the Jews. Okay? And that, and that is a very specific time. Ah, had to have a chart, you know. So, see if this thing works. I hope you guys didn't see that. Anyway, so I, I did this because I'm, I'm going to give you the briefest lesson in prophecy on the 70th weeks ever been given. Okay? And I uh, hope you can see the little light. This right here is the 70th week, and that's what it's called. And it comes from this prophecy uh, right there, 925, Daniel 925. And what it is, I'll tell you what's exciting about it, is that the, at the time when Daniel was there, that information was given to Daniel, and it's written in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And what it says, it says in the prophecy, and it says right here, from the day that the Jerusalem is restored as a city, means it has streets and walls, from that very day of that decree, exactly 483 years, Jesus Christ will be crucified on the cross. Exactly. That prophecy is fulfilled. You can do that mathematically. Now, you have to make a conversion from lunar years because all prophecies are in lunar years, which means that every month is, every year is 360 rather than 365 and a quarter. But you can do that, and it's written about this thing called the coming prince where the guy goes through the whole thing, does the entire math. So my whole joke here is that, and I bring it up all the time, is that do you wonder why the Magi understood when the Christ child was going to be born? You know how they knew? They read the book. That's what they did. Who was the, who was the chief of the Magi? Daniel, <laughs> okay? He told them this prophecy. They knew this is, that date is a historical date not registered in the scripture other than this notation. It is a secular date. It is known in history. And that's why when you put it down, you end up with April of 30 AD. Amazing. So, and Gene and I were laughing about this today. Is that the, reason that, the reason the Magi knew to show up, because they read the scriptures. Guess who didn't read the scriptures? The theologians, okay? <laughs> The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those guys, they didn't read it. They just didn't get it. But they knew the answer. They just didn't put it together. They didn't put this prophecy together. But the, but the Magi, who were astronomers, put that together and knew when they would show up. They knew when to look for the star, called the star of um, Jacob. And when they saw it, they knew what it meant. They crossed it with the prophecy. Okay. Now, what's important part right here is the... Oh, there it is. Okay, it's a little thing. This piece right here is the 70th week. Now, what happens is the, the prophecy split. 
which means that at the end of the 69 weeks, which is, the weeks is seven years, and that's what it says in the scriptures when you look that up, is that 69 times the, the seven equals 483, which tells you exactly in the scripture when he's going to die. The 70th week has never been fulfilled. Never. Okay? So when, the, when, the, when Christ was crucified, that last week, called the 70th week, has never been fulfilled. Well, what happened after the crucifixion? Okay? 50 days after the crucifixion, guess what happens? Pentecost. Guess what happens at Pentecost? The church is born. Holy Spirit comes down, fills everybody. The church is born, and the Jewish age is halted. Not ended, halted. Okay? And that, that last week right there has never been fulfilled to this day. And there's promises in 925, 927 that tell you exactly what that fulfillment will be like. Okay? Another graph. Aren't you happy I'm here? Okay, so this is the 70th week right here. It's, it's 170th. And some of you are familiar with prophecy and you know what this means and you know when it shows up. But what it is, it's, it's uh, 42 months, three and a half years on both sides. This is called the Great Tribulation. The rapture of the church happens right there. Boom. Guess what? We vacate. We leave. Voila. Holy Spirit gets moved out. We go with him. Why? Because all of us as Christians are indwelt and filled when we walk with God with the Holy Spirit. It's removed from the earth. That's what First Thessalonians tells us. Okay? And this is three and a half years here. Right here is when the Antichrist rules. Right in here. This is the worst seven years in history. And this is the scripture that tells us what Jesus refers to it in our same chapter. Okay? So we know where we're at. We're orienting ourselves. The judgment seat of Christ, which is not a judgment, it's an assessment, where we get all of our rewards because we've been wonderful Christians, happens right there. That spot right there. This is where we meet the Lord in the air when the rapture takes place. On this side, this is the last fulfillment of the age of Israel. And then the second coming, we all come down. And this piece here goes off that way. That's the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, called the millennium. Okay? So now you know at least what I'm talking about when we go to this stuff. Okay? Let me see if anything I missed here. Oh, this piece, oh, one back. This piece right here, between that, that's the church right there. Little piece. It doesn't represent well. It's actually 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years right now. But that's where it's at. Um, and the rapture will happen here. And the second coming will happen there. Hopefully you guys can see that from over there. You're all younger than me. You should be able to see it, right? Um, so now let's go back to the context. Jesus is talking here. So he says, um, Jesus answered, watch out. This is the beginning of his explanation, okay? So he says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. This isn't, I'm going to say this funny, but I'll correct it. This isn't our Messiah, okay? He is really, but the reference here is before we ever came about, before the church ever came about. It's not about church. It's not about Christianity. It is about the church. That's the ref and about, about the Jews, the age of Israel. That's the reference here. He is talking about the Jewish Messiah from the Jewish point of view, fulfilling their prophecies. Okay? The context is Jewish. 
Uh, and obviously, he's going to die in three days. So it's important to let people know that. There are going to be people who come to say that they are me when I come back. I will not have come back, but they're going to tell you that. And they are going to be so good that they're going to deceive many. You think the Satan is not powerful? Satan's a great liar. He's lied to Christians for years, and they have fallen for it forever. Okay? The next word, I'm, this right here is a supporting verse. So I am, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you where these take place. This, Revelation 13, was written 66 years after that was written, after that happened. Okay, after Jesus says these words, 66 years. And he says, and I saw the first beast coming out of the earth. And that word earth is not earth, it's land. Okay? And, and the reason that that's true is, is the word gune, and gune can mean earth or land. But in this context, because it's talking about Israel, the interpretation of the word should be land, meaning the land of Israel. Okay? The second piece, notice there's a, there's, this, is the, this is the second one. We haven't talked about the first one yet. Uh, he'll come up, but he's not in the context, so we're not going to mess with him too much. He will have two horns. Now, if you're familiar with scripture, horns means power. Okay? And the power that he will have is that he will have both the civil power of Israel and he will have the priestly power. Who does that look like? Jesus Christ when he comes back. Jesus Christ in the millennium will be the king and the high priest. He will be the, he will be the center of worship in the thousand-year reign of Christ. So this the guy right here is mimicking him. Now watch what it says. Like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So he looks... Like Jesus, he acts like Jesus. He's so sweet and nice and holy. But yet, if you listen to his words, the dragon, the devil, this is the angel of light. If you do not know the truth of the word of God, you will not be able to tell the lamb from the dragon. You have to know it. It's your job to know it. Okay? And this man is technically called the false prophet. The next verse here is another piece here. And this is kind of tells you what happens to him. It actually addresses him by his, the title that he has. He is also known as the Antichrist. Okay? There's actually two Antichrists, not one. Okay? And they'll show up in this verse here. One is an Antichrist against, and one is an Antichrist like. Because anti means to be against and to be like. Okay? It means both. The word, uh, so it says, but the beast was captured and with the false prophet, um, with the false prophet, who had performed the signs on its behalf. See, the first beast right here, that's the first beast. That's the Antichrist. The true, what most of us call the Antichrist, he is called the king of the West, okay, in prophecy. He's the one who will be the ruler over the, Holy, over the Roman Empire when it's reformed in the tribulation, okay? And he will be captured. This happens at the end at the, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, between the Battle of Armageddon when they get defeated and the Second Advent when Christ comes back, okay? He will be captured, the Antichrist, the first one, and with the false prophet. And we know who the false prophet is. That's in Revelation 13. And it says he will perform the signs on, his, on its behalf, on the beast's behalf. So they work in collaboration, okay? That's what happens, is that the, the, the ruler, the dictator of Israel will work in collaboration with the king of the West, who's the anti and the, together, what he will do is he will use the, uh, the Antichrist, the one, the false prophet, will use these signs and miracles on behalf of him to get people to worship the Antichrist. 
the, the king of the West. And these signs will be so good that he will delude those who re- to the point that they receive the mark of the beast and worship the image. That's how it happens. They will do it with, with signs and miracles. Okay? Now, the problem with people is that people are, are dopes about signs and miracles. You know, if you have somebody who is a false prophet, if he does any kind of miracle, real or not, everybody goes, oh, he's a man of God. Okay? This context tells you that this man is the, de- is the demon, is, is the devil's guy. Okay? And the two of them, this is the happy ending part, the two of them are thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the lake of fire. Interestingly enough, the lake of fire was made for, de- for the devil and his e- demons. The first people who go there are these two, human beings. Okay? And they will be there for 1,000 years before anything happens, or anybody else shows up. Okay? Continue. So Jesus continues, and he says, uh, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Now, this is the part that we're actually kind of focusing on. Joe wanted me to focus on this part. But what it is is that you will hear these. When will you hear these wars and rumors of wars? You will hear them in the first half of the tribulation. Remember that first half in the the first three and a half years? That's when you will hear them, okay? Um, The piece right here, it says, do not be alarmed, okay? We'll talk about this later. Um, in reality, God has made it such that we as believers who walk with him do not have to be worried about anything. Fear is a sin. Fear is a sin. Okay? How do you know that? Those who walk in fear do not walk in love. Right? Don't walk in love. That's the love of God. So the first one, the first one I want to just read here is, is, the, is the first horseman of the apocalypse. Now, hopefully most of you have heard, even if you, if you just watched in the movies, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay? Uh, apocalypse, funny enough, um, we all have a different word. Apocalypse is like, oh, the whole world's going to end. This is the end of the world stuff, right? The apocalypse. But, you know, the word apocalypse doesn't mean that. You know what the word apocalypse means? Revelation. That's where it gets its name. The word, the book of Revelation is called the Apocalypse. Okay? And what it means, the word revelation, we know what that means, right? It means to reveal, not to hide, not mystery that you can't understand. The book of Revelation is meant to be revealed, not hidden, not mystery stuff. Okay? So the first horseman of the apocalypse comes out in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, and he says, And I looked. This is John, who's in his vision. I looked, and, and, and before me was a white horse. Its rider, the subject that we're looking at, held a bow, and he had a crown. He, had been, uh, he was given a crown, and he rode out to con- as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, who this rider is, a lot of people see the white horse, and they think it's Jesus. Well, no, it's not Jesus. Okay? This is a bad time. This is the middle of the tribulation. That this happens, the first piece of it. But it tells us that he has a bow. Now, in ancient times and in the scripture, there's two types of warfare. And, and our major there knows this too. Right? There's terrorist-type stuff. There's guerrilla warfare, which is the bow. And then there's the conventional warfare, the big bombs, shoot the guns, all that stuff. That's a sword. That's called the longsword. Okay? Um, Ramphira is the word. 
There's a, a Makaira and a Mafai. There's two different types of swords. But the long sword was the, was the traditional one they used in battles. It'll come up at the end of this one. So this writer right here is a is the one who wrote it. He's, he's given a crown. Who gives him that crown? Satan gives him that crown. Okay? But he gives it to him only and solely with the permission of God. Satan can't do things that God says no to. End the conversation. Okay? He can't. So what happens is this is called the permissive will of God. This is when God allows something that looks horrible, but his ultimate outcome will be great will be wonderful, will be godly, will be victorious. And that's what's happening here. We run into that plenty of places. He, so he is given this crown. He will be a dictator. This time tells us that this will be the age, that, those seven years of that time, will be the age of dictators. Democracy will not exist. Okay? Representative governments will not exist. They'll be dictators, all dictators. And they will be bent on conquesting the entire world. That'll be their job. The second one, so that's the filling the part about the war and the rumors of war. Um, and this is just the fact that all these, these countries are doing this dictatorship and they're all gathering, but nothing's really happened, okay? Um, the second part, the second horseman of the apocalypse says, and when the lamb, there's actually a piece like this for the first one too, but I cut it out because I just wanted to park that part, because this is what they call the seven seals of the, of the doomsday book, of the book of, of tribulation, of the horrible stuff. Okay, And the lamb right there is, guess who? Jesus Christ. He is the one who has the power to break the seals, the seven seals, and he does. And that is the part that allows the book of, uh, the book of, the the book of Revelation and the tribulation and the horror of this period of time to come out. And notice to each one, he says, he opened up the second seal. That releases it. He's the only one qualified to. I heard a second living creature say, come. Now, the second living creature is what they call a seraph. Okay? He has six wings. He is the highest of all angels of God's angels. Okay? He is one rank above cherubs. If you remember, Satan was a cherub okay, when he left. Um, so what happens is that there's this cooperation where Jesus breaks the seals. These, uh, seraph, these seraph angels, the living creatures, it calls them here, because they're called living ones, zoan, living ones. And uh, they say, come. And they're talking to the writer. So what happens is this is being released by God from heaven. That's how this is happening. And this is what we're seeing here. It says, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Now, we know what fiery red is, right? That's war. Okay, that's, that's serious war. Its rider, again, was given the power to take peace from the earth, to remove it. Okay? And this isn't like ours. In our history of mankind, there's about just under 300 years of peace. Most of that happened during the time of the Antonine Caesars, right after the church started flushing out about 100 AD. Okay? That was the most peaceful time on the earth, about 100 years, called the, the time of the Antonine Caesars. So in reality, there is so little peace. But this isn't talking about a, a war over here, a war over there. A war over, this is talking about war everywhere. Okay? War, everybody is threatened by war. Okay? And, and you'll see that threat's real. And it says the... Um, and to make the people kill each other. That's a real short summary of what people do in war, right? <laughs> and they do. Um, and to him was given a large sword. Okay? So this, this particular one tells us that not only was there a guerrilla warfare type terrorist warfare in the initial one, but that evolves into these countries that are all dictators having war 
on each other, threatening wars and rumors of wars. Okay. So Jesus goes on. Jesus is still talking. He says, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And, he, and, he, and that's the part we kind of heard right there. Uh, and the other piece is that there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, which means all over the place. Okay. Uh, and all these will be the beginning of birth pains. Don't you find that a strange word right there? Birth pains? Now, I'm suspecting you have to be a woman to really appreciate that word. Okay? That, that's my bet. But it actually has a very specific meaning in the scripture. One of the things it means in the scripture is that there's two birth pains taking place now. Remember, this is talking to the Jews. So the first parallel is that when you do not believe in the Messiah, you do not allow him to birth. What you have is an attempted birth that does not take place. Now, women, I think, are going to understand this. So what if you were trying to give birth to your child, and all of a sudden God said, no, no, I want you to stay in that pain for another 10 hours? Painful? I don't know. I just I was born, so I have no idea. I'm a guy. But I'm telling you, this is God's description of bad, bad pain. And this, in reality, is the description of Jewish Holocaust. That's what it is. Jewish Holocaust is birth pains by rejecting the Messiah being born, Jesus Christ. Okay? And the other part of this thing right here is that this birth will be ultimately the time of the seven and a half years where they will, Jews will go through all that pain. In scripture, it's called the Jacob's trouble. But it'll go through that pain, and then when they accept Christ, which they will, just before the end, just before the, just, just before the, the Battle of Armageddon, and that's covered in Zechariah 12 and 13 and 14, great verses. And it says when they discover, when the Jews discover that they have killed the Messiah, and that's in, uh, like I said, Zechariah, they will weep that they have done that. They will understand that Jesus is their Lord, and they killed him, and they rejected him. Okay? And it says they will weep like people who have lost their firstborn. Okay? It'll be that painful for them. So that's what that birth plane means for them. Okay? They, this is the writing to fill those pieces up there. 66 years later, John fills in these details to us with the third, third horseman of the apocalypse. He says, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature, so there's one for each one of these, and this follows its, the same path, say, come, he's releasing it. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Okay? His rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands, scales, weighing scales for food. You know what those are? You weight scales? Okay? In his hand, and I heard the sound uh, like a voice among the four living creatures. And that's, you have to go back in the context. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who's saying these words. In his resurrection body on the throne. Okay? And he says, I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures. Okay? The, the seraphs. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, Wheat and barley are fairly similar. In order for a human being to survive, at the very minimum, you have to have two pounds of wheat. Wheat's a better 
uh, has more nutrients than barley does. Okay, so that's the Daenerys stuff we were talking about. Okay, and, or six pounds. So only the poor people will do the barley because they can't afford anything as rich as wheat, but they can buy six of them, and it costs it costs a day's wages. The problem with it is that even when you eat six pounds of barley a day, it's barely enough to keep one person alive. Okay, and that's what the scales are for. Everything has to be weighed. That's how critical it is. We don't we don't know what that is in this country because we go to railies. And, it's, and it's all the lights and all the foods everywhere, right? or Walmart, wherever you go. Okay, so we don't know what that. But this is what their world's going to be like. And let me tell you what it is: is that, you know, um, I have six, I have seven kids. So for me, in order for me to survive in this time, I have to have a full-time job to feed me. My wife Jeannie, she has to have a full-time job to feed her. And each one of my children have to work. And they better make enough, or one of them is going to starve. That's the world they live in. That's the famine that it talks up here. And this is the real world. This is how they're really go they are going to die by the millions, hundreds of millions, by this. And the part about the damaging the oil is that you know, for most of us, we don't really we're not weird about oil or, or wine. I'm sure all of you drink wine, right? That's a joke. Um, but the, the whole point is that, that oil, which is something we don't think much about, will be precious. Because guess what? what oil has? You can cook anything in it. And guess what it has? Calories. It has lots of calories in it. That's great stuff. But it will become so precious in this time of famine that the, the caution is be very careful with it. When you take the oil, don't just take two hands and be careful. If you drop that oil, you have dropped something of great value at a time of famine. That's the purpose of it. Then comes, then John goes further in the, in the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, uh, six in Revelation 6, 7, and 8. And the Lamb opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Okay, this is kind of an ashen horse, actually, but pale. Um, and its name was Death and Hades. It had two names, like Richard Fenimore, but it was Death and Hades. That's a joke. But that's what it was, okay? Its name was Death and Hades. And, and listen to it. See, it says, it followed closely behind him. Him who? The third horseman. Okay? This is a resulting horse. It's telling us the picture that's there. Okay? They were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, that's war, and murder, just real murder. Famine, plague, this is disease, this is starving to death, and this is murder, and it's warfare. Okay? By, and by wild beasts. That can be either criminality or actually the fact that there are no laws that are kept because they're really disorganized. That wild beasts will actually come, will actually come over and start uh, eating food, the people to have food, which is what they do in India and places like that. So you can see what will happen. Now, let me, let me help you with the math on this thing. If this were to happen today, 2 billion people would die just from that. Now, there's more to this story. There's another third that die too. Okay? 2 billion people. And I was playing with that number. I was saying, that's, that's 2,000 million. That's, that's 200,000 100,000s. 
when we have people die, during, I'll, I'll give you an example. During World War I, during the entire World War I, one of the messiest and bloodiest battles of, of, of warfare, both in civilian and in the military, 40 million people died over that period of time. This is about the same period of time, if, to, if you go from the beginning to the end, pretty close. The difference is that the difference in those numbers is that it's 50 times the number of people who died in World War I. 50 times. Okay? This will be more people who die in single stuff than any time in human history, and that happens in seven years. Okay? Bad hair day, right? And we continue. Jesus continues this. Matthew 24, 9 through 7. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted, uh, put to death. Now, who's he talking to? Who's you? Remember we Jews. This is the Jews. Now, I don't want to break it to you, but in the context, the Jews that he's talking about in this story, in this context, they're all dead. They've been dead for 2,000 years. He's talking about the Jews that will be in that period, in the tribulation period, that 70th week we were talking about. Seven years, okay? It says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted, okay? And to be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me, because you are a Jew. No other reason, okay? At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Not our faith. The Jewish faith, the Mosaic law, that's the context. So they will have the, the temple, the tribulational temple. They will have their faith, but many people will turn away from it. Not only will they turn away, they will betray and hate each other. Okay? And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Okay? That's what it looks like. This is part of that same piece. What are the signs of the end, okay? Of the end of the age, their end. Revelation gives us more here. He says, and it will perform, and it in this case, that it right there, that works. There it is. That, that little it right there is a reference to the false messiah, okay? The false prophet, the guy I was talking about before. The second beast he's called. And it says, um, he will perform great signs, cause, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in the full, in the full view of everybody. Now, you remember that? That was, that was Elijah, right? Elijah did that stuff. But in this case, he will do that to prove to everybody surrounding him that he is the guy, that you need to follow what he says. The purpose of miracles is to persuade, okay? How do you not get persuaded by something that powerful? You have to be able to tell the voice between the lamb and the dragon. You have to know the word of God. If you don't know the God, word of God, you will fall for that miracles. Christians all over the world fall for false miracles all the time. Okay, Why? Because miracles are amazing stuff. But what this is telling us is that Satan and his demons have the power to do absolutely astounding miracles to the point that if you saw them, you go, wow, what does that mean? Okay? And that's what Matthew says. Jesus is, says this further on, Matthew 24, 24. It's just what, 13 verses down. For false messiahs, 
and false prophets will appear in the tribulation, performing great signs and wonders to deceive. That's important because it's important to know that signs, miracles can be used to deceive. Okay? That's, that's, why, that's why Satan does them. Okay? If possible, even the elect. Now, that's not us, the elect. That's the elect of Jews. Those are the believing Jews. Some of the Jews who believe will follow that. Those will be the ones who don't read their scriptures. Those will be the ones who do not know what God says. Okay? Because the ones who do know what God says will be able to distinguish the lamb from the dragon. Jesus continues. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, I'm going to tell you what this is because he provides this stuff here, but there's no way to fathom this, okay? There's no way to fathom what is going to happen in this period of time, okay? Again, don't worry about it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be here, even if it happens tonight, okay? But for the believers or the Jews, this is true. They will witness this. They will be part of it. The world, when the, when, when the church is raptured and every believer is removed from the face of the earth, the only people who will be left will be unbelievers. Okay? There will be no light in the world when that happens because God will remove it. It says, the rest of mankind who were not killed, and that's because of all the other devastation that took place prior to this, uh, these plagues, uh, of these plagues and all the other stuff, it says, still, they did not repent of the work of their hands, what they did. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols for, of gold, silver, bronze, stones, wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. That's God's joke all the time. You know, it'd be like me taking a rock up in here and going, hey, guys, we're going to worship. Hopefully you'd stone me with it. But. but that's God's joke. I think that's all. He, he puts that in there all the time. Silver, gold, things. You know, the, 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 idols, the idols, they're gods that fall over when they're not attached with chains. Stuff like that. He always says funny stuff like that. Um, so what, what tells you this is here, like in verse 21, it says, nor did they repent of their murders. Murder in the tribulation is common. Human sacrifice is common. Putting your babies and your children on a burning altar and sacrificing them to Baal or Asherah were as will be as common in this time as they have been in ancient times. That's what Baal and Asherah are. They're demons. Okay? It says, so they didn't do that. They, and magic arts, that's black magic. Is there black magic? There's black magic. Okay? There's the power of demons that, is, is, that people use. Okay? Don't worry. As a Christian, as a believer, you cannot be touched by it. Okay, so, but pray for your friends who don't. There will be sexual immorality. This sex morality, for us, we have a vision of sexual morality. The sex morality, the sexual immorality in the tribulation will be something that you do not fathom the depth of its depravity. It'll be something that, that if I were to say it, you probably would throw up. It's that bad. It's pervasive everywhere. It's practiced everywhere at this time during the tribulation, okay? 
That's what Jesus is talking about, is that if you live in a world, the increase of wickedness is so bad in this thing that you lose hope. Millions of people are dying. Everybody's at war. There's no rules. There's murder everywhere. There's stealing everywhere. I was going to make a joke. That's not San Francisco, you know. I'm talking about something else. Um, like I said, I always have to you know, break it up a little bit. But this, this is really bad stuff. And this is the part Jesus is talking about. He says, the love of people will grow whole. You know, you know what will keep that love intact? Bible doctrine. The principles of God. That's the foundation of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of hope. That's why you come to learn the word of God. That's why you should be reading it and studying it every single day. Because that is the foundation of your hope. And the people who have that during this horrible time will be the only ones who have hope. They will read these scriptures. They will know what's going to happen. But they will have hope because from the time that it happens, they'll look into the little scriptures like I did and they'll say, you know something? That's seven years from now. That's how long it's going to last. And guess what? This is going to happen here. They'll know exactly what it is. Why? Because they study the word of God. Word of God is critical. This is another supporting piece here that, that Jesus brings out further, okay? Supporting the last thing we talked about, a little further in the, in the chapter. He says, for then we'll be, there will be great distress, this is what I was talking about, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and will never be equaled again. So this period will be so awful that there will be nothing like it in all of human history. Never. This is one of the things that helps you understand that this is in the future. How do we know it's in the future? Because there has never been a time in our history that's known to us where it has been worse in that seven and a half years than any other time in history. It doesn't exist yet. All of our junk and wickedness is the same stuff we had yesterday and we had 10 years ago. It's the same stuff. Okay. If Now, this is what the Lord says. If those days had not been cut short, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples still. It's just further in the, in the message. No one would have survived. No one. It means the whole world would have been wiped out. Okay? Every single person. If God did not intervene at the second advent, the world human population would have been wiped out. Okay? But for the sake of the elect, that's our brother's. That's our brothers who are being in the tribulation, these guys. For their sake, those days will be cut short. And they'll be cut short because if they didn't, if Jesus did not intervene at the second advent, and by the way, we'll be there in our resurrection bodies coming down with him. Just a short note, kind of cool. If not, the human race would have been wiped out. Okay? And then this is the last verse. Thought you'd never get here, huh? Matthew 24, 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, this, this is one of the verses that's used in Christianity all the time. It's not a Christian verse, okay? And how do we know? We went through the who, what, where, when, why, right? This is being spoken to the Jews. Not the Jews who are living when Jesus says it, but the Jews that are in the tribulation in this awful time. And what he's saying is that those who stand firm to the end. What's the end? The end of the age, Okay? The end of the age of Israel, the day before the second advent, okay, when the second coming of Christ. We'll be in heaven. Remember that picture? 
They'll still be here. It'll come right back to the, uh, the Battle of Armageddon. And those who stand firm are those who stand in Christ. Those who know the word of God and obey the word of God. Okay? And it says, they will be saved. They're not going to be saved. This isn't a salvation message. This is the word for delivered. So turion, which is the word for savior, and the same word is not just the word for saved. It's the word for delivered, to be physically delivered. Okay? And what it's saying is that when the second advent comes, if you stand firm and do not give up and you believe in me and you trust in me, when that last day comes and I come for you, Jews, we're already in heaven, right? We're coming with Jesus. Okay? When, when that end comes, you will be delivered and brought into the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ with a perfect world, a perfect government. Okay? Okay, sorry about that. So the whole thing is, okay, so what's that mean to me as a Christian? Okay, this is the funny part. We're not really different than that. We're not going through that because God does not put his wrath on his loved people. If, if your child is obedient, you do not discipline them, right? You don't. Everybody knows that. You don't have to, be, you don't have to read this book to know that. The wrath of God, which is that tribulation period, the wrath of God is on them for that time because they have been the ones who have rejected him, removed the church. We are there now. So the question now comes that we've gotten through that piece is I want to give you peace. So we're done. Done with the prophecy. Okay? But I want to tell you the other part because I want to have a parallel to understanding war for us. Okay? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm laughing at myself because I'm talking about what to do in war in the majors over here, right over here. You know, it's kind of, kind of a joke. Okay, so we'll, we'll just stay with the joke. <laughs> but it is kind of funny. Um, is this is where we are, okay? As Christians, he says, this is Jesus speaking to us in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace, okay? In this world, you will have trouble. That word trouble is the word tribulation. Same word. Okay, you'll have heart. And it says, take it to heart that I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ is the overcomer. And in him and in him only will you find peace and security. And that's why he tells us that. His second instruction, these are all the Christians. The reason John is to Christians is because it was written in 96, 96, 92 AD. So it was written after the church had already been formed for 60 years. So when John writes, he writes differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His actually all takes place in the church. Um, in Philippians 3, this is the last piece, by the way. In Philippians 3, 20 through 21, he tells us, this is your instructions as Christians, but our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? Our citizens in, in, in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's talking about the rapture. Okay? This is our hope. Okay? Our citizenship is not here. We are on, we, they used to call it TDY when I, was, when I was in service, but we're on temporary duty. We're on temporary assignment. Okay? The reason that God left you here when he, after he saved you was to be this citizen of heaven, and to be able to perform his plan in you for the world. That's your purpose of being here. So get on it, right? <laughs> That's the purpose. Otherwise, if, 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 I don't know, if, if I were God, I would have removed me a long time ago, <laughs> just not to embarrass him. 
Um, verse 21, it says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Jesus Christ has absolute power and control. He is the creator of all things. Okay? And this is the hope here. And he will train, transform our lowly bodies. Okay, that means these bodies, the ones we have in the flesh. So that they will be like his glorious body, the resurrection body. We will have bodies just like Jesus Christ. Okay? So these are the messages of hope. The last one here, this is a great one in, in Romans um, 8.37, he says, no, it's answering a question where before that where Paul's talking about them being the servants of, of God and how they go and get persecuted. And then he says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's Jesus Christ. That's how we conquered Okay, and that word there is the, to conquer is called nakao. It means to be an overcomer. In reality, when we walk with God, when we walk in His principles, and we walk in the truth of His Spirit, we are overcomers. Okay. Now, my wife told me to add something, so I'm going to put something in here. So I want you to give her credit for it. Actually, I'd thought about it the night before, but I kind of dismissed it. But it's a great verse. So, I, those who are at war, like soldiers, like the colonel. And, and Robert, who's here frequently, I didn't say him, uh, and my son, and, and others who serve, there's a, there's a thought that, in reality, they are in harm's way, and they are. But the Word of God gives us a promise, and this promise is for us, too. So I'm going to read pieces of it. It comes from Psalm 91, and I'm just going to pick up pieces of the verse, but the entire thing is good. He says, this is Psalm 91, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Um, down to verse 7 here it says, a thousand, this is the part I love, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right side, but it will not come near you. Okay, God is our protector. He is our shield. When a man walks with God or a woman walks with God, they are as safe whether they are in Afghanistan, whether they are in the tribulation, wherever they are at, they are that safe because the Lord is their God and he will protect them. He says, if you make, this is verse 9, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. And he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Okay? 14, last piece here. Because he, loves, because he loves me, he says, the Lord, I, this is God speaking, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, the Tetragrammaton is called. I will rescue him, I will protect him, and he will acknowledge my name. And he will call upon me, and I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him with a long life, and will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's our promise. That belongs to all Christians who walk with him. We are never a time, whether there is a war, and this came up because of the, of the, of the thing with Iran. In reality, we could have plunged right into war. But it, God is telling us that it doesn't matter one tiny bit. Is that when we walk with him, we are protected by God. Okay, We will fulfill that mission. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, um, 
Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that whether you're talking to the people in the tribulation or you're talking to us, that you are a promise keeper, that what you say you will do and nothing will stop it. No power in all the universe can harm us when we walk with you. We're yours and yours always. Lord, I pray that we will call on those promises, that we will be aware of the word of God and study it day and night and give our hearts to you in all things. I ask these things in our Savior's name who did exactly that. Amen.